This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. This is a 680 The Fan podcast. To hear more live and local sports content like this, tune into 680 AM or 93.7 FM or download The Fan app. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. So Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position. I don't understand. Was it something I said? Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon Background Screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com. Horizonscreening.com. W229HE Atlanta. The most listened to sports station in the South. WCNN North Atlanta. A Dickie Broadcasting Station. The Fan. 680 and 93.7 FM. Chuck and Chernoff continues here on a beautiful Thursday. 4 p.m. hour presented by Entry Point Doors and Windows, Atlanta's local expert for entry doors and windows. They're Atlanta's best for a reason. Go to entrypointatlanta.com for a free estimate. Heath Klein, Dylan Short, in with the King today. And Chuck has got a college football today coming up, don't you? Oh, yeah, I do. One SEC fan base is having an old school experience in a critical area. So that is coming up momentarily. Do have to mention that tomorrow, of course, the uh, Chili Dip Open is going on. And so as part of that today, I want to say big thanks to folks at Ted's Montana Grill because they dropped off a whole bunch of food here at the studio, which is always awesome when they do that. Ted's Montana Grill got you covered with the made-from-scratch cuisine, things like their iconic award-winning burgers, ground-in-house twice daily, as well as hand-cut steaks and seafood but out there, gentlemen, we have got a mess of chili. Chuck, you were firing some down earlier. Oh, I was. There's a Ted's about a tee shot and a forearm from my front porch uh, down on Johnson Ferry. Fantastic. They have cookies. All right. There's some reassuring about a fresh-baked, like, bendy cookie. Like, it's so fresh that when you pick it up, it like, falls. They got cookies at Ted's. It's wonderful stuff there. They got bison burgers, too. They the only place got I know bison to go sliders, that. too. And off topic, there's never a wrong time to eat chili, right? It, it might be the perfect winter food, but it, it, it's one of those foods. There's never a wrong time to eat chili. Well, it's part of the Chili Dip Open tomorrow. Again, going to be a good time. Hopefully you'll be listening during the day. You'll hear some of that here on the station tomorrow. But, again, big thanks to Ted's Montana Grill. They don't use microwaves, everything. 100% made from scratch in the restaurant every day and high-quality, locally-sourced ingredients, genuine hospitality. So wanted to say big thanks to them for dropping that by today and participating with us in the Chili Dip Open tomorrow. Again, visit any of the 11 locations in the Atlanta area because you're always welcome at Ted's Montana Grill. All right, so 
Chuck, I, I know that you've got something else on your mind. The CFT is coming, but particularly about Falcon fans looking for hope. One thing in particular they're kind of clinging to that's on your mind. Yeah, and there is uh, there's there's this this three word phrase for any Falcons fan who is insistent about what Raheem does and when he does it. Um, these words come with a lot a lot of context. Detroit did it. It's accusatory almost <laughs> um, in response to any talk of patience with the new regime, which I say, Raheem, he needs a minute. Like Zach Robinson, he needs to stretch his legs some to figure out, okay, I'm an OC now. I got a job because I was posting YouTube videos. Like Sean McVay saw my work online and was like, I'm going to hire that guy. Um, now I'm in charge of an NFL offense. Like really, really, it's me. So, Anytime I have mentioned patience over the last six weeks, uh, that this roster is actually very far away in the three most key areas, which is quarterback, pass rush, corner, um, that we need to be prepped for a little bit of a wait. An instant turnaround isn't easy. Three words. Detroit did it. Okay. Yes. The Lions did turn their fortunes around in year two of its new direction. And I mean to literally for that franchise, a historical level in the third season after clearing the coaching staff house. The team also traded for a 27-year-old starting quarterback who had five years of experience on his resume, including starting a Super Bowl. So, like, if that transaction follows, Heath, if at some point the Falcons, like this offseason – Say new coaching staff, new quarterback. He started eighty-three games. Here you go. Have at it. That does accelerate things. It can. So that's that one little bit of context that I would include in Detroit did it. Here's the one thing though that I would say does give Falcon fans hope that they can do what Detroit did is that you're right, they don't have the same resources Detroit has, but what they also don't have is they don't have a division that has anybody that's got their act together. You've got the Panthers who are a disaster. Stamen Powell. You've got the Saints who are about to get worse again because of their salary issues. And Tampa Bay, look, I don't know for sure if they're going to be able to hold on to either one of Baker Mayfield or Mike Evans. They're going to use their franchise tag if they have to on Antoine Winfield, the safety. But Yeah, they told Mike Evans basically, we're so happy for you. We're very happy for you, Mike. <laughs> I mean, he came to them before the season and said, give me the extension. They wouldn't do it. No. And everything I hear from down there – on Monday, they had the opportunity, if they could get a deal with done with him by Monday, they could have saved themselves $7 million in dead money on this year's cap. They didn't get it done. No. Evans is going to hit the market. And when he hits the market, I don't think he's coming back. If they had weeks to get a deal done, I don't think he's going to call him and say, hey, guess what? The Chiefs offered me X. You want a match? I think he's just gone. So a Tampa Bay, even if they hold on to Mayfield, without Mike Evans, is a diminished Tampa Bay for sure. I, again, this division is so bad, and I would argue everyone is taking a step back. That is not something the Lions had going for them. The Vikings are always at least good and sometimes very good. It turns out the Packers appear to have gotten a straight third time right on the quarterback position, uh, so they haven't taken a step back. People thought they would. So to me, what the Lions did was more impressive because they had to work through a much better division than the Falcons do. I'm glad you brought up the Falcons have have still got an issue with quarterback pass rusher corner because it feels like Falcons have had issues with quarterback pass rusher and corner in some form or fashion like the entirety outside of the 90s where you had was a Pat Kearney and um 
Oh, I can't remember. Oh, Chuck Smith on the other Chuck side. Smith but they had Brady Smith. Brady Smith. You know. Yeah, that's who I was forgetting there. Uh, at, at John Abraham, when you brought him in, basically since John Abraham left, oh, they have had problems at pass rusher for the entirety since John Abraham left. I don't know what it's going to take for them to get that right. It's not for lack of trying. They've tried a bunch. What I would start to suggest is, you know, maybe Terry's going to be different. But whatever your first instinct is for a pass rusher, find a guy that's the exact opposite and draft that guy. Um, hopefully they can figure quarterback out because I do think when you start talking about wanting to do the same thing the Lions did, Jared Goff might not be the best quarterback in the league. But the Falcons got to get a quarterback before you worry about anything else. You know what else. he does? He actually elevated his game, and I think in part because – if you had Jared Goff, you're like, we can function. And he was not he was not their idea of an answer. He was supposed to be kind of their stopgap before they found the replacement for Stafford. I think what happened is he was competent enough that it allowed them to address so many other areas. And, and suddenly look, you look around and like, well, they got Williamson, they got and Jameer, and that, okay, and they got Alan a tight Ross, end. St. Brown. And, and look, the reality is we're going to know by St. Patrick's Day what's going on because one of two things is going to happen. When free agency opens up, the Falcons are either going to make a play and go sign Kirk Cousins. The Bears are expected to make their decision on what they're doing with fields to at least open up the market next week. They're not going to have that thing drag up till the draft. They're going to get something done. Well, he took you the Bears when, emoji off his Instagram. He unfollowed yeah, okay, them. So. When you look at when they did the deal last year, it was within about nine days of the combine is when they did the deal for the number one pick. I think they will do the same kind of deal for fields. And, and so you're going to know, okay, you either addressed quarterback before the draft by St. Patrick's Day, or you're going to know, all right, In which case, you're playing that, uh, the waiting game. And if you're playing the waiting game, that's a whole different okay. category. If you want to know how a quarterback can transform an entire franchise, and by the way, he was kind of transforming himself as well, Jared Goff has thrown 59 touchdown passes the past two seasons. This guy who Sean McVay looked at and was like, you were almost good enough. So sometimes I just think, and it's not a knock on McVay, obviously, but as good as McVay is offensively, sometimes guys just don't fit what you want to do. And yes, for Goff, true. don't yes. forget, don't forget, and Chuck, you'll know this very explicitly, Jared Goff had to be taught how to, how to actually accept a snap from under center. Coming into the NFL, did not know That's happened. how to take a snap. Alex Smith and some other guys like that, and it takes a minute. And the big thing is because when you are under center ever, you turn around to play action or whatever, turn back around like all 11 guys are in different places. When you're in the shotgun for literally every snap, everything is always in front of you. You see when everybody moves. It's the it's a, it's a kind of a big deal. He couldn't hold on to the ball when it snapped. It's the craziest thing I've seen. But to your point about him getting better in Detroit, it could have also just been a case of the expectations weren't as high. Like everybody knew McVay was his offensive. Oh, genius. there were no expectations in Detroit. No, he was supposed to be there for two years and then get yeah. cut. He was. They were they supposed, were supposed to, to get a real quarterback. Yeah, they were supposed to be the kidneys for the contract. Work through the poison on the contract for two years. Draft your quarterback and move on from there. Let's hit a college football today. Chuck Oliver's College Football Today. Got the beta game. Presented by Roof It Forward. When your roof needs to be repaired or replaced, call the roofing company that supports Camp Sunshine. Together, we can roof it forward. All right, I say one SEC fan base having sort of an old school experience in a critical area. What is that? Cruton. High school recruiting specifically, not just acquiring players, but high school recruiting still huge. Not what it used to be, and we all know the context there, but it's it's still an avenue to bring talented kids into the program. Well, LSU Cruden is really taking that to an extreme so far. 
It's February. You can only have commitments. Uh, they are true loving this kid named Micah Dubos. He is a five-star offensive lineman from Mobile, and the kid is seriously considering LSU. Tigers may actually be the favorite for a five-star interior. He's a guard. Uh, Micah Dubose. First, not good news for Auburn. Um, it used to, like, Mobile was an Auburn town for decades. Uh, that is so far in the rear view now. Um, and so I think he's probably going to go to LSU, but it's still to be determined. Um, but that's not what it is for Auburn anymore. That's, Auburn's got bigger issues that they're trying to deal with than we lost Mobile. So if Big Giant Guard commits to LSU, it would be the fourth commitment to LSU for next year's class. Now you're thinking, well, four commitments, how is that noteworthy? Mm, no, they got like 14 commitments. He would be the fourth commitment from a high school player ranked number one at his position in the country. In addition to this kid, young Micah, the number one ranked interior offensive lineman anywhere, they have a kid named Bryce Underwood. He's the number one ranked quarterback. Harlem Barry, number one ranked running back, number one ranked wide receiver to Corey and Moore. All right, I'm in. I like all of that. Uh, for whatever the value of relationship builder, in-home, talking with mama, et cetera, whatever the level that coach's value still is, LSU is looking to become an outlier. Remember, Corey Raymond went home, um, and he's a great recruiter. Uh, Brian Kelly apparently has not gotten the mix right on the defensive side of the ball between technicians and recruiters, and it seems that he decided in this last go-round when he overhauled the defensive staff, I'm going to get one guy who's going to really be in charge. Then I'm bringing in Bo Davis to recruit. I'm bringing in Corey Raymond to recruit, and that's what we're going to do by golly. Well, so far, so far, it's working. Chuck Oliver's College Football Today, presented by Rufit Forward on the College Football Voice of the South, the fan. So we still don't know what's going to happen with Dome McGee, whether or not he's going to leave Athens or not and head over here to take over the Georgia State program. But one thing we have seen is that no matter what happens and who Georgia loses, Strength just continues to get stronger every year when it comes to one particular thing in the ground game. We'll explain coming up here on 6A The Fan, 93.7 FM. Chuck and Chernoff continues on a Thursday. Heath Klein, Dylan Short, in with Chuck today. Dylan! Glad you could be hanging out with us. Of course, always talking about what's going on with the Braves. We'll have a chance for you to hear about coming up in about yeah, 10 minutes or so. What people are about to discover about an ace whose best attribute might not be his fastball. But first, a little bit for you if you're a dog fan. This is just one of those things that, one of the stats that jumps out at you. And you just see it and you say, man, uh, it is amazing what they are able to do right now over in Athens. The dogs last year had two of the top four runners in runs outside the tackle. And it was just Consistent. You guys talked about it earlier. Dylan, you were talking about how excited you are about Kendall Milton and his pro potential. Two of the top four in the SEC yards per attempt outside the tackles. But you're losing both of them. So if you're Kirby Smart, well, you've got a problem, right? You've got two guys who have impact running capability outside the tackles. The best guy in the conference was Milton. You had two of the top four. What do you do? Well, you just go and grab number five in the conference, Trevor Etienne from Florida. And that is exactly what they did. Out of the conference, you had two guys in the top four. They're both gone, 
and you're going to have one of the top two guys returning in yards per run outside the tackles because you go and you add Trevor Etienne and Chuck. It is not supposed to be this way that you're able to do that, that you can basically look at other teams, not just other teams, other teams in your conference, teams like Florida that are supposed to theoretically be right on your level. You're not supposed to be able to look at them and say, I drink your milkshake. But that's exactly what Kirby did, whether it's with ETN, whether it's last year. Oh, we need some receivers. We'll just go get the best receiver at Missouri, the best receiver at Mississippi State, and we'll solve our problem there. You're not supposed to be able to do this in the SEC, and he still does it. And so even losing two top backs in the top four in runs outside the tackles, they're going to be fine. Mo Smith was heading to a fifth year at Bama to be a part-time nickelback. Kirby was like, I need somebody who speaks the language. Just come over here and help me a little bit. Nick Saban reacted like Kirby punched his daughter in the face. Like, you want to give Mo Smith a chance to start? How dare you come take Mo Smith? Do you remember the reaction? Like all the Bama players allegedly trashed Mo Smith's locker in Tuscaloosa. Um, you snap your fingers, and you're right. It's a shopping list. And it's just due diligence. And I heard this. I'm trying to forget. Oh, it was uh, no, it was it was with Saban when he uh, resigned. The 30 day period opened, and with Caleb Downs, I was told, don't expect him to go to Georgia's. If you see his name in the portal, don't expect that, but do expect him to enter the portal. And I said, why? I said, just due diligence. I'm gonna enter just to keep my options open. Well, once he's in the portal, you can contact him now. You ain't waiting until he's in the portal to contact him. I live in the adult world. But Kirby, Heath, you're right. It's a shopping list. If you are going by the one rule that you're really supposed to, which is wait till they're in the portal, it's a shopping. It's it's like that uh, supermarket sweepstakes game show, whatever. And Kirby's got the most credits, man. He's got the most to sell. And, and I would argue, by the way, you look at the list. Milton was 6.3 yards per attempt outside the tackles. Edwards was 5.8. ETN was 5.6, but with Georgia's offensive line and Georgia's offensive system, he's going to be even better. I would not be surprised if his number in this category is better than anybody in the SEC and better than Milton's number from this year. By the way, the college football world is very lucky that Downs did not end up at Georgia because Malachi Starks, Caleb Downs' defensive backfield would be kind of unfair. Um, but, But on the running back situation, it's a little bit weird when you talk about Milton and Dajan and what they were so good at outside the tackles because I don't think that that was the plan for Kendall Milton. I don't think Kirby wants both of his running backs to be top outside the tackle runners. The plan should be, or generally speaking, one of them outside the tackles. This is the the Zeus, the Zamir White, and, and James Cook philosophy, where I got one guy who Sony goes outside the numbers. Yes. Was what we thought. Remember, they just couldn't run up Sony the middle. had to show yep. when Chubb got hurt that, no, I can do this too. And when you talk about ETN, I think you're dead on that. I think ETN is going to be ahead of Dajan in front of those numbers. But he's very similar back to Dajan. He's got more top-end speed than Dajan. Just going back and looking a bit, I think Dajan Dajan is quicker. Dajan is quicker in short area. ETN is faster long ways, which I think is a big thing for Georgia. But here's the thing, though, and I don't know this. There's a chance that Billy Napier didn't push every correct button the past two years. And so there's a chance that we have not seen the best of ETN yet. I'm telling you, that is an elite player. Can you coach a guy to be shiftier in small and no, short area space. You, just, you have him on the sidelines. Because that's what I think Dajan that's... was was great at. Was not necessarily any one trait, 
but you got him in, in just a short area with a defender right on his hip or whatever, the, the very sharp spin moves that he was great at doing, the hesitation steps, the the just kind of off-kilter runs. Dejan was phenomenal at that, and it's why oh, Georgia's backfield you slow backfield up good. half a count, and then the guard does get to no the block, idea what to do. and then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, the hole's there, but... Uh, Montreal Johnson is a plenty good, running back. plenty good running back. Absolutely. ETN's an SEC game wrecker, and he was never treated as anything other than 1A or, you know, whatever. Now, Johnson, because of the familiarity with yes. him from Louisiana, clearly got favored. And, and it's not like there's not history. Fans down there are so frustrated because when Mullen was there, it was Damian Pierce. Oh, gosh. Why won't you give the ball to Damian Pierce? This guy was He's going to the Pro really Bowl now. He's really good at football. Yeah. Why won't you give him the football? And they wouldn't do it. Mullen just would not do it. And, and then they watched it happen again with ETN. We're saying, get this guy touches. What are you doing? Team's got to copy just everybody else. Do it. No, run, that's still simple football, man. When you have a running back, like that's the simplest thing. You turn around and just here you go. And then he does stuff. I'm convinced that coaches just look around at the the other coaches that are winning everything. Okay, well, he uses three running backs, so I'm going to use three running backs. Obviously, that's the best system. It's not always the case. And when you talk about the backfields in the SEC, as weird as it's going to sound to say, who would you say are the top backs in the SEC now? Quinshawn Judkins is gone. He would have been my number one answer. Cody Schrader's gone. I say ETN. Like, and, and, I'm telling you, that kid is unbelievably I'm hoping, talented. I'm hoping you're right, and and I probably would agree he's up there for me too. It just seems like a weird spot for the SEC to be in that I don't see. A, I don't see many backs that I'd look at and say that's best running back in the whole country, which there's, I'm used to saying in the SEC. Well, but there could very well be. I mean, there's so many guys. I mean, again, Cody Schrader, nobody even heard of a year ago, and then he, he turns the into SEC in rushing, the know. SEC leading rusher. A kid like Rocket Sanders at South Carolina but, that wasn't able to stay healthy last year. You could easily see there's, him suddenly go off again. I mean, there's a lot of kids. There'll be there'll be somebody's name that fans don't know outside of that fan base where the kid plays that by October everybody in the conference will know. When you have an opportunity to keep it simple, especially at the SEC level, if you ever have a chance to – wait a minute, I can be really, really simple today and still win. Close out the Iron Bowl in maybe 15, 2015. I think Derrick Henry, the last 17 plays of the game <laughs> – where Derrick Henry runs. Now, if you think that's an extreme, I watched Marcus Lattimore literally one night in the swamp go, we're going to Atlanta. And he was a freshman, was a 41 or 42 carries. Why? Because Marcus, as an 18, he's the best player on the field. And Spurrier was like, yeah, we're going to keep this simple. Um, when you have a chance to do that, you should. And Michigan versus Penn State. Was Napier it? never did that. They never did. Yeah, for whatever reason, uh, the good news is if you're Georgia, that means he's going to have plenty of fresh legs. And, uh, again, just everything just sets up perfectly for that guy to have a monster year. Another guy who things set up pretty well for him to have a monster year, different sport, would be Spencer Strider. And, Dylan, I know you've got some thoughts on Strider and, and what makes him maybe better even this year than last year. There's so much about Spencer to love because, again, it's it's the Nolan Ryan factor. You can have – and I'll just use I'll use Max as an example. If we were to talk about the best pitchers on the Braves, I don't think there's a big gap. Most people would agree. There's not a huge gap in terms of talent between Spencer Strider and Max Fried, right? You look at the two of them both. And you say those are two of the better pitchers in the game. When you watch the two of them, though, it is a massive difference between how you watch. Max is one of those where he goes about his business and it's almost just the inevitability. He's going to go six, seven innings. At best, you're going to get two, three runs. He's going to strike out seven or eight. He's going to walk one. 
every time out that he's going to do. Spencer's going to go out there, and I don't know if it's going to be five innings. I don't know if it's going to be seven innings. I don't know if he's going to have 14 strikeouts or if he's going to have 10, but a lot of you are going to be walking back to the dugout, swinging a miss and look like a fool. Very easy to say that the fastball would be his best quality. I don't think that's the case. There are a lot of guys that can throw the ball hard nowadays. Every team has at least one or two guys that are touching 100. When you're able to combine the ability, and this is knowing your body, when you go into his regimen, his workout regimen, his his mechanics regimen, the way he built his mechanics, becoming a big leaguer, the way he adapted his pitches, all that's incredible. His baseball mind is incredible. The most impressive thing about Spencer and what sets him apart in my mind from any of the other young pitchers in baseball, when you look at who's going to take that mantle, it is the mentality. When you talk about when we talked about the Braves needed a little bit of edge, whether that was Jock Peterson, whether that was Josh Donaldson for a year, Chris Sale, who you had this year. I think Spencer is that same dude. I'm not going to, I don't, I always go back to, yeah, absolutely. I can't remember what game it was, but it's Spencer in the dugout, just screaming at an umpire for, for not for a different pitcher, not getting a strike call. He's just laying into this umpire and he yells at himself too. He does. Like he's really tough on himself. He'll he'll give up two runs in a game. Tell you he sucked for giving up two runs. I'd like him to throttle down, throttle on down on that. But that mentality and bringing in a guy like Chris sale, who has that same mindset, bringing in a guy like Jared Kelnick, who looks like has that same mindset. Those are the types of guys. That's the type of mentality. And it's a crazy person mentality. Clearly it is. It's a Max Scherzer, I'm psychotic type of thing, but in a good way. That's what takes a guy who can be great to being greatest. And that's that's a different level. Yeah, I saw a piece by Ken Rosenthal last year for The Athletic that went into the details on Strider and how he basically has this relationship. He's got a mental coach that he works with and and the challenges he's had along the way about what you're talking about, about how sometimes he's got games where he pitches really well. And you look at the line score and you'd say, hey, that was great, but he's critical of himself because he doesn't feel he got locked in adequately to be where he needs to be. It was really interesting because you you always think of some of these guys that have the kind of talent he has, and you think of like a Nuklelouche, you know, a guy who just goes out there and just uses the thunderbolt and doesn't necessarily get real deep into what's going on. But it's clear with him, there's a lot more happening there. It was a fourth or fifth round pick, by the way. He was not a high round pick. He was fourth or fifth round in 2020 for a guy that really didn't pitch at Clemson. So when you talk about the rise of Strider, like it's, he was not a huge high school recruit. He wasn't a nobody, but he wasn't like, there was no real risks of him going straight to the league out of high school. Well, that's what was interesting about the story was that, 2019 was the year he missed in college, and that was the first time apparently he was willing to meet with this guy and and actually dig into the stuff upstairs as opposed to just I'm going to go out there, be a competitor, pitch as hard as I can. And it's been an ongoing process now basically for five years of how he had to use his mentality to recover and then be the best version of himself he could be, even though in 2020 he obviously barely got to pitch. And you test and you poke and you prod and you do all that before you draft him. But apparently a big part of it was, I mean, to a human in Clemson, everybody's like, no, this guy's different. And that's you can tell from the first pitch yeah. you ever saw from him, like, oh, that dude's different. And there's a lot of guys that are like that, but there are not many guys that have that mentality of not only am I just better than you. Like Spencer's fastball, you can argue best pitches in baseball. It's the single best pitch because he strikes out way more than 
anyone else. And you know when you see that in a guy who was draftable, high school, college, whatever, that, all right, that means there's a chance. Now, I don't know if he'll ever harness the strike zone. I don't know, you know, whatever. I don't know if he'll come back from the injury. I, there's a lot of stuff we don't know. But when you see that arm, you're like, okay, that, there's a chance here. And the fact that you get that and the slider on top of it, which is also one of the best pitches in baseball, a lot of guys would say, all right, I'm going to perfect that arsenal. To go in and see what he's done the past two years, and you can look at the the ERA all you want, but I would tell you if you want to actually know what most people think about Spencer, look at the more underlying numbers, look at the expected numbers, how people hit off of him, all of those numbers. To have that type of metric data, which is better than basically anybody else in baseball, and say, you know what? I'm not where I need to be in this changeup that I throw, which is also, by the way, a swing and miss pitch half of the time I throw it. And I can't command it the exact way I want to. I'm going to go add another new pitch, which he's already seen a couple of the curveballs that he's added in there. That's what I was going to ask. Why? Because the curveball to me, my entire, it was Nolan Ryan way back then. It was Doc Gooden. Everybody, the most effective for a starting pitcher. Coming out of the pen is different for me. A starting pitcher, the most effective uh, pitch off of like legit 99 is a curveball that you can throw for strikes. Depends on how you hold it, how you tunnel. You paralyze guys. Lots that go into But he wanted something that he could use a little bit more often. And again, I haven't talked to Spencer, but probably something he could use a little bit more versus lefties. You get a curveball that's going to bite down out of the zone and drop that way. If he can get that pitch going to where, even if it's just league average, to where he's comfortable throwing it, say, 7-8% of the time, 10% of the time. Or you lock a guy up, and if it's a strike, it's it's the strike because you can't hit his fastball if you're not expecting it. So I want to touch on one other thing, baseball related, quickly because we got a couple of minutes here. Chuck, I have seen you wear Braves jerseys multiple times. Mm-hmm. I would not describe you as jersey guy, not at all. But you have at least worn a Braves jersey, Dylan. I don't know you and your wardrobe choices. Are you a jersey guy? I'm not. I have a Ronald Acuna jersey. I don't. I have a Raphael for Call jersey that has that I've never opened that has stayed unopened. But I'm not. I don't generally wear jerseys. Now I'll go to Roto wear and I'll wear some of the shirts like my Los Angeles to shirt that I'm rocking today, which is one of my favorites. I have the, uh, was, was the uh, throw it again jer- uh, shirt. That's one of my favorites as well. Uh, I do have two jerseys. They're both Braves. Um, one says Chuck and 14 on the back because they gave it to me in 2014. The other is jersey number 68 and the jersey matt has has a zero on it so we were supposed to stand next to each other i got the 68 <laughs> matt got the zero so those are the two jerseys i have did, so you're correct i'm not much of a jersey guy but i remember brave stuff did you get a the on your back and he got fan on his uh, i was just shy of that yeah okay well 860 fan that's us there's a lot going on with the jerseys this year and I, i'm sure some of you have seen it but oh you, yeah they screwed it up i heard if you somehow have not the big leaguers are livid, and they're livid about more than one thing. First of all, they said, we're not going to let you customize your pants anymore, which why in the world would you possibly tell guys we're not going to let you customize your pants as if everybody in the big leagues has exactly the same thighs and leg structure? That doesn't make much sense, but I, this just had me rolling. So there's been a lot of criticism of the new jerseys. The jerseys are licensed to Nike, but they're being manufactured by the folks at Fanatics. And as part of this, they've got smaller nameplates this year and other stuff. Again, I'm not Mr. Uniform, but I I can see why some people aren't crazy about the changes that have been made. But here's the part I love. Member of the Mariners literally posts on his social media his jersey. Fanatics Twitter feed responds 
This is Fanatic support. Quote, hey there, it looks like we dropped the ball on this one. Send me a direct message so I can learn more about this. Kyle, it was an actual jersey. It was the Michael Chavis one, I think, where like they've got, there's like a little curve in the letters. There's a big space between the H and the A, uh, not to mention the pants are see-through. If you haven't seen that yet, that's how thin the material is. There wasn't is. anything to fix. No, See, that's the, the problem. There, was, there wasn't an issue you were trying to correct here. If I you were trying not. to like shave off an extra 8.5%. I should not be able to go to Dick's down the street and spend $50 on a pair of Mizuno pants and get a better set of Mizuno pants or go to the Mizuno store right across the street and get a better pair of pants than what the major leaguers are going to be wearing. Yeah, MLBPA apparently is particularly about the pants. They are unhappy, and they're trying to do something about it. And I don't, I don't know if they will or not, but the fact that these things are so bad-looking that you literally have your social media team apologizing for the actual major leaguers' jersey online, I, I'm just saying they may have a point. This you're might Nike, not have been their best Nike, work. How, how dare you? How do you want that associated with you? And Fanatics, here's... What surprises me, Fanatics is, I will say, is a just a general statement, big, giant, evil company. However, you can get any team you want, and it's a pretty good price, and damn, if it doesn't, like, you hit. Uh, you might as well have had DH Gate make their uniforms send, this year. And all of a sudden, like, there's a knock on the door, and it shows up. So they, they're they very effective in what they do, uh, but somehow they've messed this one up really bad, and it, it surprised me. It just seems like maybe if you're thinking about buying an authentic jersey this year, maybe maybe give it at least a week or two. At least most fans don't buy pants, but there may still be some some working to do to try and get these things up to code in time for the regular season. All right, coming up, take a look at why gold isn't worth what it once was over in Tuscaloosa. That is straight ahead here on 6A The Fan and 93.7 FM. This is... 443 here on Chuck and Chernoff. Heath Klein, Dylan Short in with Chuck today. 4 p.m. hour presented by Entry Point Doors and Windows, Atlanta's local expert for entry doors and windows. They're Atlanta's best for a reason. Go to entrypointatlanta.com for a free estimate. All right, so the word came down yesterday from over in Tuscaloosa that the change that has already been kind of the story of 2024 for them continues. The longtime voice, and we mean longtime voice, of Alabama football is no more. And, Chuck, that's one of the things that I think some people were a little surprised by. Didn't think that Eli Gold would leave this job under anything other than his own wishes and best of terms, but that's not the world we're living in. No, and uh, it is not unusual for whoever the voice of the program is to you enter the great beyond. Um, You're on the mic one day, and then you pass. And then the football program gets a new voice. Um, That's just kind of what we've gotten used to. Uh, Alabama Athletics has decided to move on from Eli Gold. Uh, That's true. Um, Here is also true. At 70, Eli's 70. All right. He's been there 35 seasons. Half his life, he's been the voice of Alabama football. I did arena league games with him probably 10, 12, 15 years ago. And I remember him saying, he's like, how's a kid from Brooklyn become the voice of Tide football and NASCAR? He's like, it's a wonderful life. I was like, it is. And so I just sat there and he taught class, man. He's so good. And now he's 70. And at 70, we are not as mentally or physically anything as we were at 60 or 50 or for him, 35. And now that includes me when I turn 70. It includes Eli Gold right now, and it includes calling college football games on the radio. Uh, 
if Eli were employed to like fly the space shuttle or lead Everest climbs, there wouldn't be much of a discussion about this. But he does a job that isn't vital to to us, the con- consumers, and it's not vital that it's done technically perfect. So this is where the choice comes in. The athletic department, the administration gets to decide where is that sliding scale between our fans want familiar, they want what they know, they want what I remember I heard back when whatever, and the job's not getting done at the level it's supposed to. Now, I'm just going to tell you my understanding of things that, you know, Eli left for an health, uh, about as serious health issues you can be as cancer. He returned. And then this past year, remember, it was just the home games, and then he did the Iron Bowl. Um, Alabama wants to be at the top of its game in every facet. They have changed executive chefs, all right? They have a new company that paints the field before the game. Why? Because they do a better job. So sometimes that's how it is. Uh, Now, that's apparently what happened with Eli. They're like, we are just ready to move on. We will honor your contract, and then we will get – better just like we do in a lot of cases now a lot of that gets left out but that's what's going on the guy who got the job chris stewart um folks it worked out for him do you know how many like dozens of kids at every major school are freshmen in the mass comm department and they think i'm gonna outwork and outlast everybody did stewart start working there was it 1998 like, do you know how many people they latch on to a, a, either a pro team or a college athletic department? They think, I'm going to outlast everybody. I'm going to get the job. Folks, Claude Felton just retired in Athens. He started in 1979. All right. So college athletics, it's like an athletics department slash old folks home. All right. So I'm telling you, the fact that it has worked out for somebody who got in line and waited and worked and waited and worked. And if it was up to Eli, it wouldn't have worked out for him yet. So I told you the story. Hawk Harrelson got 43 years behind the mic. He bitches that he didn't get a 44th year. He says, I got fired. I should have come back for one more year. So it's just kind of what happened. A flawless, technically perfect broadcast isn't always the goal in college football. And you can be fine with that. Alabama decided, no, we won't maybe some more of that. That's just what it is. Yeah, and look, uh, the reality of it is, that when you choose to move on, there is no good way to ever do it if the person you're moving on from doesn't want to be moved on from. In the perfect world, you have Gene Deckerhoff at FSU, says, I've been doing this a long time, I'm ready to go, and he has his year to get his flowers, and everybody can appreciate the great work Gene's done over the years, and he can walk, but otherwise, unless you are literally prepared to let someone hold the job until they no longer are exchanging oxygen for carbon dioxide, then at some point you got to make and a call. And the time m- to do it with the start of a new coaching era makes the most sense. And how many press boxes have you walked into with some guy's name on the plaque right beside the door? And it's usually somebody who season 47 and then in the off season he passed and we got somebody new. I mean, that's all over the SEC. The one thing that is a shame about this is that you just don't have many places now where the relationship of the voice of the radio is the same as it once was because every game's on TV. There's so many more ways that you can There's no Larry. be involved that There's no Larry you just Monster. can't have that same connection. Well, that's the thing. Like so many programs, 
whether it's Dave South at Texas A&M, Jim Hawthorne at LSU, Deckerhoff at FSU, uh, Mick Hubert down in Gainesville, you know, guys that did three and four decades with these programs, once they're gone, that's it. It's like redwood trees. You, you can't plant more. It's just not happening. And so I'm sure Chris Stewart will do a great professional job for years in that role. doesn't matter. He's not going to be Eli Gold or John Forney because oh, those guys were in a different era. Scott Howard is doing like there Scott is Howard's no great. doubt. Scott, if you're a Georgia fan, there is no doubt he is on my side. He wants the same thing I want, and and then he gives me all the good information I'm supposed to get. He can't be Larry. Like, he can't be Larry, no matter what. No, it's, it's a different – like, there's no opportunity for him to c- become that now we, because we consume, we, it so, we consume it so differently now. And it, it, it is – I like that you brought that up because it is a, a weird thing because college sports for me are kind of those one things. I don't mind impartial broadcasts either. Uh, you know, if it's a national game, like if it's, you know – Fox doing the playoffs or something. I like impartiality. Fine, whatever. I get it. But if I'm tuning into my team station, I want that guy to be as big a homer as me. And it's always felt like radio has been a better medium for yep. that to come across. That's my guy. Yeah. Skip th- Carey, he was just as let down by the Braves a lot of those years when they were losing 100 games as I was. Like, you never had any doubt Skip was on my side. Not not a chance. I mean, Skip was a little bit different because he did it on TV. Most guys are doing it. Um, that's one of the things that I I still really like on radio broadcasts, which is why I hate when Major League Baseball does the Apple broadcast because I think it's very stupid to put games on a platform that, let's just be conservative and say, conservative estimate, 40% of your audience doesn't have, so you've just cut out 40% of the people that could be watching that game. That's I don't have Apple TV. Doing the opposite of growing the game. But they have an option to where you can sync the radio broadcast to the television, which is good because the Apple broadcast people, not my favorite. Um, but I would, I'd love that option more. I want more of my Homer broadcasts. Give me, give me more of that. Whoever's doing that, that's the route that you need to go. Yeah, one other note today on the broadcast front, too, since we got a couple of minutes here, and that's Jack Collinsworth. If you watched NBC's broadcast of Notre Dame the last couple of years, you know it wasn't good. I mean, most of us, none of us, as far as I know, in this room are Notre Dame fans, but we're all college football fans, so we're going to still that, wind up watching. That's a great piece of TV real estate to live in, too, man. Yeah, we're going to wind play up. play-by-play for Notre Dame. We're going to wind up watching Notre Dame games sometimes. And so you just you want them to be done competently. And I do not understand for the life of me how NBC has spent the money through the years, built that relationship, and has not made more of an effort to have a consistent quality broadcast crew yeah, let's throw Drew Brees on the games. Let's throw Tony Dungy on the games. Doug Flutie. Doug Flutie on the games. I mean, yeah, well, just, I was remembering his connection to Notre Dame. I was like, okay, yeah, not really. No, I mean, it, was, it was really odd. I mean, Pat Hayden, it was like they were going out yes. of their way to put someone who was a rival of Notre Dame in the booth. Like, Tim Brown must be really busy. Tony Rice is really busy. I felt well, that like, way a lot about the Pac-12 games as well. You tune into the Pac-12 930, 10 o'clock game, and you'd get what I would call the C or D team broadcast, but it's really kind of the, the B broadcast. God bless the SEC network. It's Clint Sterner and Cole. When you can understand what he says, Cole Kublick, like it's SEC guys on those broadcasts. Hudson Mason. Yeah. I mean, you, you've got a guy like Mike Golick, who's got like 25, 30 years of national experience has called college football before he's sitting right there. I, I don't know. To me, he'd be a better fit for the job than Jason Garrett, but they didn't ask me, but they should have. That it's was their not first that mistake. hard to find someone who knows how to call play-by-play to do a nationally televised football game. And Jack Collinsworth 
had never done play-by-play before this, and it showed. And so I am happy to report for all of us, whether you're a Notre Dame fan or not, uh, Jack Collinsworth is out as the play-by-play voice. Garrett will continue. But what they're doing, now that NBC has those Big Ten games, basically NBC is going to put the crew of Noah Eagle and Todd Blackledge on whatever their best game is. So if they think Notre Dame is playing, say, the Trojans, and that's the best game they've got that day, they're on the Notre Dame game. And if not, they're on the Big Ten game. So when it's not them, Dan Hicks, who, look, I wouldn't describe Dan Hicks as my first choice for a football play-by-play guy either, but he's at least done the job as opposed to a guy like Jack Collinsworth. It'll be Hicks and Garrett some of the time and the Eagle and Blackledge combo when it's one of those nights where the Big Ten has served up Maryland and Charlotte for the game they got in primetime. This is a really obvious missed opportunity or a missed obvious opportunity, I guess, for NBC. Like, you need to declare what a huge deal this is before I'll believe it. Like, tell me, our Notre Dame broadcast crew of, and I know year after year, what I'm getting when it's Notre Dame football, it's this guy. Can you remember what he said before Notre Dame played XYZ? I don't remember what the guy said because he wasn't probably on the broadcast. Um, they So they have devalued that. Now, first of all, I'm going to say this. This is not me, like, pimping for anybody. This is just what I've observed. Um, doing color analysis on football, to me, that's just fun. Honestly, I never – I was like, I get paid for this. This is – I'm stealing money. It's fun. Play-by-play is work, like a lot of hard work. Play-by-play, you you have to know it – as like you don't have a chance to process it's happening and you have to eloquently and accurately describe everything that's going on whoever's doing color gets to wait see everything unfold know how it ends and then you get to describe it like i was like you're really paying me for this play by play is hard work and the fact that he wasn't good at it doesn't surprise me the fact that he got the job and nbc wasn't more like protective of that that property, that just really surprised me. They, they so for whatever reason, they treat those games like it's an obligation. And it's like, you know you paid for this, right? Like, you a went out of, of your way to you do it. You have cornered, like, the only way you can corner the market in college football is, like, nobody can purchase just Alabama's games. Like, Sankey and the SEC Network, they're like, no, those are already committed. Don't give them any ideas. So, you can't. All right, the social media unfollow that rocked the NFL Happened just in time. We talk about it. Coming up next, you're on 6A The Fan, 937 FM. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words. It's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Hey, sandwich lovers. Today's your lucky day. There's a whole new way to roll for lunch or dinner delight with Nucky's Hoagies in the Roswell Corners Shopping Center. Now open. Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell is family owned and operated by the subsisters, Stacey and Shannon, whose love language is food and Nucky's Hoagies, their passion. When you bite into a Nucky's Hoagie, you'll taste the difference. The softest hoagie rolls ever, along with hunger-quenching sandwich combinations. Make Nucky's Hoagies in Roswell on Woodstock Road your new favorite spot for lunch or dinner. This is a 680 The Fan podcast. To hear more live and local sports content like this, tune into 680 AM or 93.7 FM or download the Fan app. 
This morning in the Atlanta airport, no one's missing a meal on Mac Wilburn's watch. With 11 restaurants to serve passengers, he's got dining for every destination. And it all started when Mac talked with First Horizon Bank about opening a franchise in the airport. Now it's open for business and cleared for takeoff. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Mac. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. So, Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position. I don't understand. Was it something I said? Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon Background Screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com. Horizonscreening.com. 